because um, uh, often when I speak, they put me at the last session of the conference consistently, and there's like three people, and I should be in therapy for that. And so I was like, are you kidding? No one's going to want to be here. And then, this is awesome. And also, because this is my stomping grounds, I have people from all kinds of seasons of my life here, and I just feel like standing up here and weeping at you. So, if I get a little emotional, I am not a nutter. Uh, yay. So, here's what I wanted to start at. Well, I am a nutter, but I try to. Um, I wanted to start with recognition because I just thought to myself, it wasn't that long ago that I was you in your place. And um, sometimes uh, I would know I would be doing what was right and good before God. But it would just be hard, like really hard work. And so I wanted to say, now that I'm out of your cycle, I recognize what you're doing is so amazing because you're doing frontline work. Like your life is intersecting with all those lives and souls and making such a big difference. And it's really interesting to me, now that I moved into this realm of research, there's so much uh, out there that says when we value kids when we look at them, the wholeness of them, and when we help them feel like they belong. We have a classroom where we say, here is a safe place where you bring gifts that we're going to value, and, and without you, we would be different. And when you bring hope, when you have this whole curriculum and perspective, that um, there's hope that, that you will be able to read, that you will be able to be successful. These are the beautiful, powerful things that you're doing, and you need to hear that. You're doing beautiful, powerful work. And so I want to recognize you for that and um, say to you that, yeah, it's hard, it's hard work, but it's so fruitful and so beautiful. So I want to start with recognizing you, and then we're going to move into my outline. Because if I were you, my head would be tired. So I'm just going to let you know where we're going, so hopefully you can track with me. First of all, I'm just going to give some um, neuroscience findings and cognitive science findings that will give you kind of an overall framework to think about reading instruction. And then I'm going to review reading components, because if I was totally honest, even though I taught kids how to read in first grade for two decades, at any given day, if you wanted me to recite every possible component, I'm not sure I could do it. <laughs> so we're going to just do that. We're going to review and just remind us about metacognition. And then I'm actually going to get some nuts and bolts and just say, what can we really do with all these pieces? So thinking about what neuroscience does, thinking about what the reading components are, thinking about helping kids really think and be um, self-monitoring about their thinking, how can that kind of roll out specifically? So framework, reading components, metacognition, and then some nuts and bolts. Any questions so far? <laughs> I actually am right a college professor, so I'm used to people shooting the hand up, so feel free to do that. Okay, <clears throat> and this is not meant to be uh, unkind to anyone, but if, if I was honest, at a, if I was a school teacher, I didn't really know the difference between these, so I thought I would just explain that. So um, ideally, the things that we do in class um, are done because we have uh, talked to good old-fashioned people who've been it, done it for years and years. I mean, there's, there's a wisdom that teachers have said, like, this is what had worked, this is, right, there's that whole strain of personal experience and training, and then there's this whole strain of scientists who study how brains work and how kids uh, function and teachers function. So this neuroscience research, this particularly 
is when, and this is relatively new, and I would say it wasn't until the last couple of years it was really applicable, because we would find out things about the brain, but it would be so obscure that they would say, how does that even make sense? So neuroscience is brain imaging. So you take images of brain, and then there's an experience, and then you take images again, and you're like, well, what changed? What was used? So this type of science informs what happens in the brain, which we just didn't have that research, not when I started. And cognitive research is more scientists who come in and researchers come in, and sometimes they do it in lab too, and they look what kids do, what kids say. So it's more of the exterior type of research. And we're gonna, um, I'm going to present some stuff from neuroscience pieces and some stuff from cognitive pieces that um, I learned relatively recently. So I just recently got my doctorate from Johns Hopkins, little university that you may have heard of before. <laughs> so yeah, and so what's very exciting, this is what's so funny to me, so I'm really a, uh, a country kid from Hudsonville, and I ended up going to Johns Hopkins with the top research version. <laughs> I was like, that would be a God thing. <laughs> yeah, so only God. Um, but what's really fun, some of the stuff I'm gonna tell you really isn't, it's just starting to hit the journals because uh, they do the work out there that takes a long time to kind of get published. So hopefully, some of the stuff you may have heard, some of it might be new. Okay, here's finding number one. This is actually a neuroscience finding, which is brain imaging. The brain pathways for reading and writing are nat naturally occurring. This is something that I didn't know. And when I or went to Calvin College a million years ago, the, the thought then, is what, what we thought, was uh, reading happens naturally like talking happens naturally. The brain actually grows brain stems naturally to learn how to talk. I mean, there's a whole fascinating um, uh, experiments on that, which is fascinating to me. Like, and so kids will naturally learn to walk, learn to talk, um, those types of skills. But there's nothing, there's no natural growing or patterns, there's no brain stems that naturally occur for reading and writing. In fact, what, what a child needs to do they need to repurpose current pathways. So like a pathway for visual representation, they need to repurpose that into recognizing letters and symbols. So the highest cognitive load of a person's life happens between preschool and mid-first grade. The heaviest, more than law school, more than preparing for an MCAT, more than taking the MTTC or whatever is in your realm of, of, of here. I mean, that's what's so beautiful. So hats off, if you happen to be a preschool teacher, a kindergarten teacher, or first grade teacher, and you walk home and you go, man, I just sweat today, baby. That is why. Because you're actually having kids do some of the most critical and powerful work of their life. So here's the thing that, here's the implication for that. And this is what I did not know, and I wish I knew, because I did two decades in first grade never knowing this. Uh, but I think you do, kids teach you how to read, really, how to teach reading. Every single reading lesson, and especially in the beginning, has to be explicit. We really have to explicitly say, this is what it is. And we have to practice with kids, and we have to give them the work to do that, the time, the practice to do that. And so if you uh, have been along in, in education as long as I have, you know that the pendulum keeps swinging this way and this way. But we did that because we didn't have the neuroimaging. And now that we have the neuroimaging, we know more about how brains actually work. I mean, just a drop in the bucket. And you're teaching in exciting times because more and more new stuff is coming out. 
So here's what I'd like you to do because I'm a teacher. This is what happens. I want you to take a moment and think about your context, your literacy instruction, and say, knowing this, even if you're fifth grade and you're teaching a new comprehension strategy, that kid still has to work to create those new pathways. It's not like it's there. They had these roads, and now like, oh, instead of driving on this road, now you have to drive on that road. That doesn't take as much effort. They have to build that road in their brain, which they have to actually build new neurons. It's a lot like when you work on a treadmill and you like maybe build up muscles or you lift weights and you tear your muscles a little, then you build them up. Well, that's a little painful. It takes effort and discipline, right? So if you know this, just take a moment, then how might this influence, how, how, how might this finding influence how you think about teaching writing or teaching reading? Talk among yourselves. Someone turn to someone next to you. Meet a new friend. Hey, friend. Okay, so um, 
Um, I want you to just, yes, question. Um, I understand what you're saying about plasticity. Mm -hmm. You also talked about the hippocampus. Can you remind me what the hippocampus does? Yes, the hippocampus, we, we know some of the things it does. One of the key things it does is where it stores memory and stores skills. Now, what's fascinating, like, what they're finding is that, like, if, if uh, you have twins, and you, one of them takes ballet, and one of them takes maybe music lessons or whatever, if they do imaging on their brain, that hippocampus actually is shaped differently because you get these bulges in the different places where you do these repetitive patterns. So, but, you know, we, we're just kind of discovering that, but, yay, wait a Michelle put me on the spot. I love that about you. Run <laughs> everybody! What if I did? Okay, what if I did? Well, 
and to get in there and wrestle with it. For example, for me, now that what I know what I know, I maybe would have, if I met with them for a reading group for five, five days, maybe I would do two things in those five days. And we'd get in, and we'd go deep, and we'd wrestle, right, and we'd kind of do the work. Um, that's one thing that's really changed. As, as far as college students do, I have them do fewer things, and they're much harder. They're much more complex. Now, not that I don't step them through that, like I'm going to show you, like we're going to step through reading instruction, but if I want them to function here, it's better to do few things and get really after it. And you know what? I am 100% unapologetic when kids say, it's hard. You know what I say? Doing my job. <laughs> Thank you later. <laughs> I mean, you know, this is what I also say to them, like, yeah, anybody likes to go to the gym and drink coffee, super fun. <laughs> oh, or, you know, watch Oprah, or now Oprah, that's not a thing. I don't have a TV, so let me think. Uh, what are those people that build build houses? Joanna? Uh -huh. Yeah, right, right. Yeah. Oh, you can watch that on when the treadmill's on, too. Nice, right? Why did you even bother? But if you go and you sweat, wow, think of the endorphins you have. Think of the strength you're building. It's the same with your brain. We know that, right? Effort. So, okay, talk to somebody next to you then. How does this change how you plan, how you think? Or maybe it doesn't. Maybe this is like, I do that already. <laughs> about 
this because it's the teachers who give very specific feedback right at that point of need. So right at that guided practice piece before they're doing independent practice. You can do it when they're giving independent practice. Think of yourself. Now maybe this is not you. But if I said right now I'm going to go and show you how to change your muffler. <laughs> You're going to be like, no background knowledge, oh, that's freaking me out. Okay, so if I modeled it, and I and now I said, do the first thing, and I would go around and give you specific, okay, i go to the left, this is it, don't be afraid of the grease, right? I'm giving, if you gave you very specific, that would be helpful for you. Think how helpful that would be as you as a learner, something specific. And so we know the more specific we are with their feedback, um, because here's the thing I love about kids, excuse my language, but <laughs> they can skip out. Fiffle compliments like nobody. They're like, that doesn't mean nothing. You know, that's like nothing. But if you give them very direct, they feed on that. We all do, right? Because it's like, they just create, I think God made us to be substantive. To say like, yes, I want to make progress. And so if you're really specific about that, it's really powerful. Now, what's really fascinating to me is because I teach pre-service teachers that they haven't had a classroom yet, and we kind of practice this, <laughs> they are so good at it when we practice in class. And then when they're actually reading, right, they're spinning so many blades and blah, 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 blah. And they're like, good job, awesome, nice. And I'm like, come on now. <laughs> and then they're like, oh, right, right. I like how you specifically. Uh, so nice. Uh, same to be for me. Okay, so talk to somebody next to you about, like, hey, natural, I do this. Just evaluate yourself and say, like, wow, how could I maybe incorporate that better in some aspect of my literacy instruction? Go. understanding. B, that work 
actually forces them to access their schema and kind of adjust it. And if you say it out loud, you can give them feedback or their partner can give them feedback. So there's a lot of this. And in almost all my college classes, <laughs> some of my students will tell you this, I have people elaborate a lot. Why? Because I think I'm kind of boring. It's just me, blah, 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 blah. But also, why? Because doing that work helps them recognize. Because right, you cannot teach what you don't understand. Not well. And you can't, it's harder to explain if you don't really get it. And here's another thing as a speaker and a teacher, if I say, elaborate to your friend, all of a sudden they're like, wait, what? Should I have been paying attention? So see, it keeps people working. Okay, turn to your partner of partners or people and think about when could you possibly use the technique, or maybe you already are, you could brag, you're like, I do that, I do that. And I would just say, it's really to help have kids express their current understanding or maybe describe their current skill level uh, in their own words. Okay? That's sorry, that's my first
and then it goes through this tiny little bottleneck like driving through Chicago, right, where there's always construction, that little tiny snarly piece. Uh, that little, that little, that little piece before it goes in, and it, you know their brain does some work with it. That little piece is called motivation. And guess what? If they don't want to pay attention to you. You can sing and dance all day long, and it's really right. Or um, if, if you know if, if they're really distracted, or that that little nugget, that little that little that little piece where all of your people say you're out here singing, dancing, you're planning, you have videos, blah blah blah, blah. and right here they're going nah. <laughs> so. This is what we want to get, that little piece. And so all that to say is I think part of literacy instruction is really discipleship. And, and it's explaining to kids, this is why it's worth doing the work. There's such a big payout. Because when you do the work, you build mental pathways that you can drive on for the rest of your life. So, I mean, I think sometimes when we explain kids why this... So one of the things I explain to my students is part of the anticipatory set, which a lot of people just ignore in their lessons, they're like, oh yeah, we don't need that. Um, is explain to kids why doing this will help you because X. And I think a lot of kids are savvy enough, and I find when I work with kids and explain that, I just had a tutor, uh, and the, the, my uh, student said, well, she's not really that motivated. I said, I'll have a talk. She goes, don't intimidate her. <laughs> I'm like, I won't do that. So we sat down, and I said to her, you know what? I said, you know what my job is? My job is to think about how kids think. So could you explain to me your thinking on why you don't like this? And so she was explaining this and this and this. And I said, oh, well, here's what I know. If you learn this, it is going to be so much easier for you to figure out what the character's like. And if you can figure out what the character's like, you can get the interesting messages and think about that. And she just looked at me like, oh, really? Oh, really? Oh, really? And so my student said to me, yeah, wow, isn't it interesting? All of a sudden, she really wanted to do the work. So I think some of that work up ahead that we do to explain, and that, I'm not just like, go, go, you can do it, or like, I'm going to give you 72 choices, not that choices is bad, but actually kind of doing that discipleship work to say, I really care about you, I care about who you are and who you're becoming, and this is good work that can actually change your brain, and that can make you equipped in lots of different ways. So, I would like you to talk to someone next to you, like, how aware of you of how important motivation is? How do you motivate kids? And is there anything that I talked about that maybe helps you think about it differently or similarly? Okay, go!
Um, if you have ever been on the college campus, you know how um, students tend to take these shortcuts, right, from the sidewalk, to, and all of a sudden there's like squished grass, and then two weeks later there's kind of like squished grass and brown, and then there's lots of brown, and then there's a wide thing of brown. <laughs> it's, mental pathways are the same way. When you learn a new skill or concept, your brain, it's, it's like your brain kind of squishes that grass down a little bit, and then you go over it, and it's more and more and more and more until there's dirt road, and then all of a sudden you, you, you tar it, and then it's like Michigan forever, and then you have construction, and you build, build, build. Think of the difference of driving a, let's see, like a fast car, I'm trying to think of something. All those cars, right? Um, if you're driving on a dirt road, like to, to, to some remote cemetery, and you're like, how fast can you go? Or on a four-lane highway. Think how fast you can go. Here's the other way you can think about it. If you learn something, the, the other thing your brain does is not only does it build fast highways, it makes connections between schema points. And the, it's so instead of having one route, suddenly you have three routes, or five routes, or four routes. Think of how more, much more creative you can be. Think of like you can avoid traffic, right? Or you can you can see new views. So as we have kids actually build new pathways in the brain, there's the sophistication of thinking, the speed of thinking, the complexity, and the ease that's so much more. Now, one thing that helps kids build those pathways is something called quizzing. So if you teach something new, like a new definition, or you teach something like a new skill, and three or four days later, you maybe still have that anchor chart, that anchor chart where you have the three steps or whatever. Maybe you have two covered, and you say, we went over this anchor chart. The first is, mm, now I want you to take a moment, don't look at your notes, don't talk to anybody, but do the work in your brain, try to pull it out. Usually they come up with one, right? Actually, just that work really does. And so having that kind of quizzing, I'm not saying quizzing for a grade. I'm doing the act of making yourself, because when you build pathways, you go this way, when you retrieve them, you're going that way, right? Now think if you go over and over and over and over. That's what makes those pathways really quick. So if you ever are in the spot where you have to memorize tons of stuff, when I had to take my doctoral comps, I had to do like, oh, I don't ever want to do that again. Um, I did tons of quizzing. Because when kids in like high school, if you have a high school student, there's a lot, you know, you can take notes, you can do all that kind of stuff. It's the quizzing that actually makes it solid and you have a lot more, but it's much more work. So the act of quizzing, so if you're like a math teacher and there's certain foundational things you want to do, so occasionally you're saying, okay, here's the image. What are, what's the definition of this? Or whatever it is, and write and have them kind of bring that back. Sometimes I play little quizzing games. At the beginning, I'll have PowerPoint and blah, blah, blah. Just kind of that quick review does really powerful work. And you may say to yourself, what does that have to do with liver suite? I actually use this a lot when I have kids, I, I explain explicitly, the thinking, I want you to do this, this, this. Okay, let's turn it over. Can you say it in your own language without looking at it? And if they can't, well, we just flip it over and go back. But actually, that kind of quizzing kind of piece helps them build that, that work, right? It's more mental work. Okay, so talk to, you're all so clever. How could you possibly use quizzing in your literacy instruction? Hey, if you're teaching preschool, think about letters, sounds, symbols, colors, all the kind of fun quizzing that you can do. And you're so creative, you can think of lots of fun, great ways. I think lower elementary teachers are the queen of creativity when it comes to you, because right, those kids have a three-minute attention span. you got to have a lot of tricks up your sleeve. Okay, talk about, well, how could you possibly use quizzing? <laughs>
which I would argue is a little bit different when you're studying characterization. You're still asking questions, you ask different kinds of questions. But if you teach them how to do the thinking, they can transfer it into different contexts and they can do it when you're not there. Right? And it's harder. Oh, and what do we know about pain? It lasts, right? And it builds those pathways that they can drive on later. So, um, this may feel a little obscure, and when I got it too, I was a little obscure. And so the thing I'm going to teach you, if we don't run out of time, is how to help kids do this during reading comprehension. And here's what I found, which is really interesting. This is my little testimony. Um, I uh, was noodling this, and noodling this, and noodling this, and I figured out a way to help my students do this. And um, we go to the Pottershell School, and we were tutoring. And the teacher was busy, you know, teaching for, they're her students, right? We just pulled some out, and we did some stuff. And um, we were doing this kind of research project, so what I needed her to do was come out halfway through and walk around and give me feedback on how her students were doing. And she cried. She was like, I've never seen that kid think like that. I've never seen that kid equipped like that. She goes, look, what are you doing? So I was explaining to her, I was like, we're not really teaching the kid how to do a strategy. We're teaching the kid how to think, the thinking underneath the strategy. And because we're doing that kind of thinking, kids that, that weren't able to kind of do that before were able to do that in kind of different ways. So hopefully we'll get to that. Uh, hopefully I whet your appetite. So um, there you go. I'm not, I'm not going to talk about that, but I'm going to move on. So uh, hopefully you sense the talk. When you hear about metacognition, it's that famous thinking about your own thinking. Well, this is based on Flavel's work. I'm not sure if it's Flavel or Flavel. In the, I think it was 1979, he did this beautiful work on metacognition. And his big main work was not just to be aware of what your brain is thinking about, but to also be very self-monitoring. And to say, wow, is this working when I did this, 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 did this work? Or when I do this, 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 what's difficult for me? As teachers, you all do that, right? If I said right now, write a comprehension lesson, you'd say, all right, this is easy, this is easy. Find the books is the hard part, or, or writing it, or formatting it. Right? We all know what our hot spots are. But if we help kids think about their hot spots, and then what do they do? What's, what's the, what, what do they, how do they help that? So that's part, this whole thing is part of the reading strategy that I'm going to teach you, just to help them be much more aware of their brain and what their brain's doing or not doing. And then I'm going to just give you a quick review of all the reading components. I can't take credit for this. This is done by Nell Duke and I can't remember who got right, but they work together. And you may or may not be familiar with Nell Duke. She's a Michigan crowd. Wow, she's fantastic. What I love about Nell Duke is she is academically rigorous. If she puts her name on, it's quality, but she has a heart for kids. It's applicable. Her work is very applicable. So if you ever find articles, research articles, or you get to go to training and Nell Duke is there, she is worth checking out. Because I think I love her because she's not one of these austere people like, you should be able to blah, blah, blah. She knows teachers. She knows kids. And she's like, how do we wrestle this out? Anyway, this is this. Okay. Oh, flag should be going out. Active self-regulation. What's really critical is, is the kid aware of am I motivated, am I engaged, Am I regulated? Am I trying? Do I, am I aware of strategies? Do I know something that I can use, right? This is on the kid. That's a big piece. And I would argue these have to be mini lessons. You can't assume kids know this, right? There's some big, powerful work here. And then, of course, we do this whole word recognition. And praise the Lord, anybody in third grade must thank any preschool teacher 
kindergarten teacher, first grade teacher, for helping kids learn that phonological awareness, which is the ability to hear, identify, and manipulate sounds. Right? Because kids come into school, they hear these long sentences like, little Johnny, pick up your coat. What they're not used to hearing is, little and little, or how many words there are. All that kind of stuff they need to learn, right? And then, of course, they learn sounds that go with symbols. And then they learn the phonics and decoding and sight words. And guess what? This is critical. This has to be automatic. If kids don't have that automatic, we have done them a disservice. We now know from neuroscience, this has to be taught explicitly and practiced with rigor. Now, I'm not all about a million worksheets forever and ever in a day, but I am much more. I've swung because now I've seen the data, the neuroscience data, of how absolutely critical it is to teach it explicitly and to give kids text that they can decode and do the work. Next, we teach them, uh, oh sorry, so this is the word recognition piece. And then of course, this is that whole language kind of comprehension piece. Um, they bring uh, knowledge from their background, from their home. They bring knowledge from uh, science. They bring social science knowledge. They bring reading specific knowledge, maybe strategies and how words work. They have verbal reasoning. They have language structures. They have theory of mind, recognizing how brain works, their brain works. So these are these two, you know, two big pieces. And then there's these skills that bridge this to this because your brain needs to look at a symbol, put a sound with that symbol, and then there's a series of symbols. You got to put a word. Then you have to bring the meaning. Then you have to bring right all meaning to words, meaning to sentences, meaning to. Uh, inferences, right? So you have to do this kind of work down here. Here are these bridging pieces, print concepts, how books work, reading fluency, vocabulary knowledge, uh, morphological like word meanings, like pre means before or un can mean opposite. And then this is kind of like that cocktail word. When you go to cocktail parties and it's really awkward and you don't know what to say, you can say, have you heard about grapple phonological semantic cognitive flexibility? <laughs> One of my specialties, we do it. We do it saying the brain's nimble ability to shift from recognizing symbols to bringing meaning to words, right? So actually it's a task shifting. And now I'm going to give you a fun little grapple phonological semantic types of flexibility exercise. And so here it is. This is what you need to do. These words right here are in a certain category. This starts with a B, this starts with a P. This is another category. What might be, huh, huh. Think of how your brain has to think. I figure one out. Anybody want to take a step?
word by Nell Duke, and I thought it was powerful because <laughs> it emphasizes the work part. So she says, instead of comprehension, I call it comprehaction. Comprehension plus action. So a student doing something with meaning that he or she has constructed, i.e., they did the work. They decoded those words. They brought all the meaning to all those words. They brought the meaning to those words together, right? And now they are doing something. Maybe they are learning something. Maybe they are entertained. Like, this is what I love about teaching first grade. You know how they're decoding, so blah, 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 hard, 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 and they go, ha, ha, ha. I can now make this up. Okay, to follow steps to create, make something, to critique an argument, to understand an issue in his or her community. So all of that kind of hard work, right? And here's, all you are fantastic teachers. You always think to yourself, let's, before we plan, think about the end in mind. Do we not want all of our kids to end up being able to think critically for all kinds of different purposes using a text? That's why we do the work. Okay, now here's my uh, comprehension instruction protocol in eight minutes. <laughs> oh man, okay, I'll just go quick. Number one, what I encourage my students to do, because remember we want to teach explicitly. I have them do a think aloud. When they want them to do a certain type of thinking skill, I say, oh, start with a think aloud and put into words, and I have my students script it, because if you just do it on the fly, you have to have your kind of experience, right? So script it out to say, this is what a, you do as a mature reader. Okay, that's the piece, think aloud. Secondly, along with the think aloud, I have them make an anchor chart. And so the think aloud includes very specific thinking steps. So when I want to do this, I think about, this happens to be uh, for generating questions. So if I'm teaching a first grader or, or a, a child to think about, I say, okay, my think aloud is going to have a look, it's going to have think, it's going to have identify, and it's going to have create. And what I teach my students to do is to have those keywords with a picture if they're younger, right? Because then obviously they're not going to be able to read it, but the picture they can remember. Then, you do, so you, you're, I'm going to give you an example of it in a minute, but you, you're, there's a think aloud piece, and there's an anchor chart that goes with it, so they have the reference, and then you do explicit modeling. You model with the text that you're going to use together, or as a sample text, you actually model how you do that, right? You say, here's the thinking I do, and you say, first I look, and then I da da, and then I da da, da. now I'm actually going to do it. So you model for them how to do it. Then, this is the guided practice where, you know, you're helping them practice. You have the student, and they can use the anchor chart, say those thinking steps back to you in their own language. Does that sound familiar? Elaborate. And then you have them practice with a piece of the text, right? They do that work, and this is where you give them descriptive feedback, right? Before they have to do it on their own. And then you have them do the independent practice. And I, I have the anchor chart still out in case they still want to do that, and you can keep giving them uh, practice. Now, here would be a sample. Here's my anchor chart. Look, think, identify, create. And because I didn't have time to look for images, I just wrote the word. Normally I would have a little image there. True, true story. Okay, so this would be like a think aloud. And this would be in my notes, right? I would say, when a reader, an experienced reader or a skilled reader wants to ask questions, one of the things they do is they look really carefully at a text. They look at the cover. What's there? What do you see? What's surprising? 
I look at the back. I look at the beginning of the book. I skim through the book. And I, I think, okay, I'm noticing something. And then they think about what they see. They say, huh, have I seen anything in the images before in person in another book or somewhere else? Is it like or different? Have I heard anything? Right, I'm just explaining. This is the thinking that I'm doing. I'm sorry. And then I identify. I'm like, oh, identify things I recognize. Identify things that look different. Identify that's new. And then I create. Then I create a question. And then I would actually model, right? So I'm expl I did the thing a lot. And then I would have my text here. Maybe it has spiders by Nick Fishett, one of my favorite authors. And I would say, wow. Look at that spider. It has longer legs than anything I've ever seen before. And my question is, are there a lot of those in Michigan? I hope not. Right? And so then I would, I would model for them. So I would use the text specifically, and I would model for them. And then they, I would have them do that. Then I would say, now, could you explain to me the thinking that goes into all these steps. And now I want you to try it. Let's turn a page or a page that you're interested in, and we'll do that. And when they do that, I give them specific feedback. Like, I really, so behaviors and or skills, right? I'll say, I really appreciate it how you did the work to recall that. Like, you looked at that keyword and picture, and you were like, oh, yeah, that's what that step is. That was it. And, or I like how you looked back at the anchor chart when you weren't sure. Or I like how you took time or whatever feedback that you want to give them, right? So you, you want to just, and, and you may even want to give them a goal to say, yeah, you really took your time, but we're running out of time. So next time you may want to, right, so you give them feedback for that. <laughs> and then, of course, I actually, so that's the thinking, right? But then I actually have them do something with it. So maybe we are going to generate questions that we're going to read later to answer. Maybe we're going to do a KL, KWL chart. Maybe we're teaching the difference between quick and you know thick and thin questions, and we'll do that work later. Um, maybe we're teaching, uh, let's see, questions and to do requests where you, um, well, you probably don't have time for all this. <laughs> or we want to do a thinking math. I'm just uh, running out of time. Okay, here's my thing is, my hope is that you can see that um, there are certain things that neuroscience and cognitive science have shown us now about reading instruction, and I wanted to give you a specific way, or a way that I have used, all those types of thoughts to inform ways that I can teach comprehension. So this is just one protocol that we use, but I thought, I don't like to go to conferences and have them go pie in the sky, blah, 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 nobody, there's no specific stuff. So now we have three minutes for questions. Can you talk more about the think aloud? Yeah, would you go back to that oh, slide? Oh, I love that. Michelle, can you come to all my conferences? Yeah, think aloud. Think aloud is this. What you're, because remember, you're not teaching kids to mimic you. This is what kind of I did when I was younger. I said, hey, this is the KWL. I want you to make it like this, blah, 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 blah. Instead, I say, what is the thinking? So I would say, when readers think about generating questions, they make more complex questions, insightful questions, and they often have more fun doing them. Because their brain is working, right? It's kind of like instead of driving five miles an hour, you're driving 90, which can be kind of fun. Uh, I don't want to encourage that. <laughs> <laughs> um, but, uh, I'm just going to, I should have these all pre-recorded. And just do it. Okay, right. And then I would say, okay, so I think about my thinking. And the, the think aloud are these
steps where I would say, I'm going, am I going the right direction? Right, my think allows basically walks through this when I say first, readers look. So I use all these keywords because if it's just lots of language, kids are like, wait, well, that Windows recess. <laughs> I'm hungry. <laughs> Why do you wear black pants all the time? <laughs> It depends. <laughs> if there's similar thinking, then I can right. use different ways. You can double do it. Uh -huh. And you know, here's what's great about this. This is why I love it. This isn't on teacher pay teachers anywhere else because it came from here, right? <laughs> so we have to create it, and so my kids have to do the sweat and the work. And so just today we were in a, I mean, not today, yesterday, I was in one of my classes, and we were trying to pound out. So let's see if you can do it in a second. Talk to somebody next to you. What would be three steps, three thinking things a kid would need to do in order to visualize? So visualize means they're hearing the words and then they're uh, thinking about what those words mean and they're creating an image or a movie inside of their head. What would be the three steps? So three verbs, or you want to do four, four verbs, what would be the thinking that they would do? See if you can do it. To visualize. <laughs> Oh, yeah. 